hooray, hurrah. Welcome back to the Greg Proops Film Club. This is the Halloween edition. Tonight we're showing uh, the 1955 classic by Clouseau, Le Diabolique. Hooray. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. Uh, and uh, joining us at the film club, Jennifer, of course, my wife, does all the programming for this, and she picked this. First of all, I want to know, are the horns blinking? Okay, awesome. Can we turn the lights down for just a second? Because I want you to see the full majesty of these. Yeah, now you get the idea of the absolute magic that a pair of battery-powered devil horns can do on a middle-aged comic. And by middle-aged, I mean I'm going to live to be 124 years old. Uh, I got these at a, uh, what they call a service in England. It was a petrol station. I was on tour there in the 90s. And in 1996, we were doing a Halloween show. And no one really celebrated Halloween in England in those days, even though they invented it, uh, because they invented witchy, witch pooiness. And of course, uh, tormenting women by weighting them down with stones and whatnot. Very English. And thank you. If anyone's ever seen a Vincent Price movie, and by the way, today's the anniversary of Vincent Price's death. So I think we're on a very propitious night uh, because no one was more attuned to Hala uh, than Vincent Price. And uh, we heard a story about a, a friend of ours who's an actor, and I won't say his name, Ian Ogilvy. And uh, he was a wonderful British actor, and he was also the new saint when they redid the Saint series in the 70s. And he was in a movie with um, Vincent Price. I believe it's Witchfinder General, or is it Conqueror Worm? Witchfinder General. And, uh, which, as you can see, just from the title of the movie, it's good. Um, any movie that includes witchfinding, one, and two, when you're the general in charge of witchfinding, you know that this movie has some authority. Uh, and on the first day of the set, Ian Ogilvy told us that he was riding a horse and Vincent Price saw him and said, oh, she's beautiful and she rides. And yeah, exactly. That's good cinema is what that is. Uh, so I made our, uh, my tour manager at the time, whose name was Mark Rainbow. Yeah. He changed it from Raybould to Rainbow uh, because he was a hippie. And uh, we stopped at a, a petrol station in England, and I bought um, some, what they would call, uh, what we would call a mounds bar, but I forget, a bounty bar in England. In other words, it's the coconut bar that's coated in chocolate. But if you inhale while you eat it, you die because the shreds of coconut stop up your glottis immediately. I don't know if you're familiar with the the candy applets and cotlets that are from the Northwest. They're covered with powdered sugar, so you mustn't inhale while you're eating them because an applet or a cotlet on its own, perfectly safe. As soon as you inhale near one, um, you and then all of the uh, air is choked off to your uh, trachea at that point. And uh, we bought some, a bag of uh, bounty bars, and because it was a Halloween show, we stopped and got a pumpkin, and I showed him how to carve a jack-o'-lantern. He'd never carved a jack-o'-lantern before. I'm sad that we don't have a jack-o'-lantern here tonight, but um, we hadn't time uh, because we only had all of autumn. And so uh, I carved a jack-o'-lantern. We bought a candle and stuck it in it. We, I found a cassette of Bach, which I was thought was fairly fortunate to find at a motorway services in England in the 90s. Toccata de Fuga D minor, which is, of course, the theme song to the Tales of the Crypt movie uh, from 1971. And uh, I, I found these devil horns. 
and a bunch of light up skulls and pumpkins, which I still have in my garage. And I've changed the batter on these once, I want you to know, since 1996. That's the kind of energy they use. By the way, you can't see it because my luscious hair is hiding them. Uh, but the battery goes in the side on a horrible rectangular thing here that you have to screw open with a tiny screwdriver that no one possesses. So you have to cast a magical spell to find a tiny screwdriver and or um, press a small fairy or sprite into service to get them to unscrew it and then put in the single A battery that goes in there. And by the way, um, this looks like a harmless uh, set of devil horns that lights up alternately on my head. However, the pincer power of this and the torque is somewhere in the neighborhood of 450,000 pounds per cubic inch. Uh, it's crushing my head as we speak. Uh, I'll turn it off, and then this is when you turn it back on again, they both go on, and I think that's the really the exciting part. And then I have no idea how the alternative uh, um, uh, fixture works on it, the fuse or whatever it's called. I I didn't I failed electricity in school, although I did uh, minor in demonology. I was going to read something to you now, but I realized that I've asked that the lights be turned off, and so I'm plunged completely. And almost as if by magic, light was once again shed on the stage. Uh, so I'm pretty proud of these uh, devil horns because they've lasted a, a super long time. And I, I've gone around the world many times um, from Frisco to the Bay, and it's hammer, yo, hammer, hit me, hammer, go, hammer, and the rest can go and play. And I've looked for devil horns everywhere I've gone. Literally a ceaseless search, uh, much like Diogenes with his turnip with a lamp in it, looking for an honest man. I've gone to every Halloween shop um, between London and here, and uh, the ones that are on Hollywood Boulevard that pop up, and I've never found another pair of light-up devil horns. So I cry out um, to the crappy devil horn makers of the um, Orient, where are my light-up devil horns? And by the way, I don't know if you've looked around at the supermarket this year. Um, light-up stuff is at a real low point. Um, don't give me that supply chain bullshit. Um, because uh, I need light-up pumpkins. I need light-up ghosts and whatnot to wear around my neck. I don't know about you, but Halloween's my favorite holiday. I'm from San Francisco. And let's be very honest. In San Francisco, it was more popular than Christmas. Um, because Christmas is about family and warmth and getting together and talking to your relatives. And no one in San Francisco had any of those things going on. Uh, when I was there, uh, we didn't have relatives. And if you did, they lived in Mississippi and or the Midwest. I don't know if you're aware of that. People are from the Midwest. Uh, people come to California. They're from the Midwest. They live amongst us. Uh, they try to hide in the herd. I have special glasses like Roddy Roddy Piper and they live so I can see them. And uh, thank you. All of my jokes are for one man tonight and that I appreciate. The rest of you, uh, carry on. As I've said so often on this show, you're showing a great deal of respect by honoring each joke with a moment of silence. And uh, people come from the Midwest and they live here. Uh, and, and in San Francisco in those days, uh, your friends were your family, and then uh, your drugs were also your friends. And so when Halloween rolled around, they would close off Castro Street, which is a giant main drag uh, in the city. And yes, we call it the city. Uh, that's how provincial people from San Francisco are. Um, no matter where we go, San Francisco is the city. I know there's some New Yorkers here, probably, and they're like, oh, we call New York the city. Mm. 
the thing is, there's two things you know when you're from San Francisco. One, everything. And two, no matter where you are, where you're from is cooler. So people will think, say things to me like, um, don't you love New York? And I'm like, yeah, but it's kind of dirty. And I'm almost certain during the summer they bring in urine from other cities. Uh, whereas in San Francisco, you'll hear people say things like, do you see the view? And you're like, after a while, yeah, I see the fucking view. <laughs> Apparently no one's been to San Francisco in this crowd. Uh, no one's left L.A. for a while, and I, I can understand that. This hasn't been a traveling two years. But if you can cast your mind back to when you would go to San Francisco, they would close off Castro Street, which was the giant gay neighborhood, as if there was another kind of neighborhood in San Francisco. And uh, we would take drugs and go up and down the street uh, wearing costumes. And I saw some of the funny, although I have to say on Santa Monica Boulevard years ago, when Santa Monica was all torn up for the decade that it was torn up while they were rebuilding it to make it worse. Um, the entire project, as far as I could see, was to make Santa Monica even more difficult to traverse than it is than it was before. <coughs> and I saw, I remember on Santa Monica at Halloween one year, a guy dressed in pavement with a stripe down his center, and he said he was he had come as Santa Monica Boulevard under construction. <laughs> and in San Francisco, uh, about 1979, uh, Jennifer and I went to uh, Castro Street on a shamanistic dose of mushrooms. So at that point, I had left my own body, and uh, we were real high. And um, I don't know if you've ever taken mushrooms, but they kick open the doors to perce of perception. And all of a sudden, your ego is gone, and all you can think about is laughing hysterically at everything that's happening around you and the molecular destruction that's going on uh, in your brain. And so there we were with the music pounding and thousands of people all around us and a gaggle of gay men dressed all identically in pink Oleg Cassini Jackie Kennedy outfits came around the corner, moving in unison and holding Jackie Kennedy masks on a chopstick in front of their face. And they moved as a, as a coven, as a, as a flock. And I remember being very high and trying to digest this fact that gay men could be so awesome and move as an armada of Jackie Kennedys at that point. For those of you who are sketchy or younger, Jackie Kennedy was first lady of the United States. <laughs> In the, uh, uh, during the um, uh, coolness scare of the early 60s. That dissipated, of course, during the last four years where we had a, a Romanian woman or whatever she was that was attached to Orange 45, uh, which was the worst Halloween of all, and it lasted four years, but it's quite over now, and I thank you. Uh, in any case, when I was little in San Carlos, California, which is where I'm from, it's on the peninsula um, of the Bay Area. It's the whitest place on the face of the earth, home of the Plain Yogurt Festival. Um, <laughs> take the fruit out, the powerful taste is burning our tongues. Uh, San Carlos is extraordinarily white. So white that um, our Catholic school was named St. Charles. I'll let it lay there for a minute because this is LA. San Carlos means St. Charles, you guys. Uh, the town fathers of San Carlos were like, well, <laughs> San Carlos sounds a little Mexican, don't you think? Maybe we should change it so that people feel comfortable. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to say San Carlos was white, but the one, one Direction was found in the hip hop section of the record store. And uh, they used to show uh, uh, old Paramount 
films, uh, I mean Universal, all the Universal horror films, uh, Mark of the Vampire and Mask of Fu Manchu, all the fantastically racist ones from the 30s. And we would drag down to those. And sometimes all five of the, at that point, Planet of the Apes movies, which all had Roddy McDowell in them. Uh, Now, of course, there's many more Planet of the Apes movies, but they don't have the same kind of zest. There was really nothing as awesome as Planet of the Apes movies where the apes' faces never moved. I know a lot of you are like, yeah, but the CGI is so bitchin'. Yeah, I think having fine English actors with immobile faces was a lot more bitchin'. Having the Shakespearean actor Maurice Evans dressed as Dr. Zayas go, the, the forbidden zone was unto paradise. It's your time pretend it into a desert. They were like, yeah, that's good horror. Um, or, or sci-fi, if you will. In any case, tonight's picture is not one to be trifled with at, any, at all. Uh, Diabolique was made in 55. Um, Vera Clouseau, who was married to our director Clouseau, um, recommended the book to uh, Clouseau, which he stayed up and read and evidently purchased the rights to the next day, beating Hitchcock by just a few moments. Hitchcock was desperate to make this into a movie, and he eventually did, and he called the movie Psycho. You'll find a bunch of riffs from Psycho in this movie. I'm not going to hip you to them. Uh, you'll, you'll see them as the movie travels on. Um, let's just say that a bathroom features prominently in this and the place where one bathes. And so uh, you'll see that that riff's in there. Also, the swinging light bulb that reveals the hawa um, is in this picture. And uh, Hitchcock used that liberally later. Um, Hitchcock then bought a property by the same two fellows who wrote this book, uh, that this uh, picture is based on, uh, because they also wrote Vertigo, and to go back to the Greg Proof Film Club from some several years ago, another elegant uh, horror film that Jennifer chose called Eyes Without a Face. They wrote the screenplay to that too, and it has nothing to do with the Billy Idol song whatsoever. Um, thank goodness. Uh, I think any connection to a Billy Idol song, well, I'm, it might add to the horror. Let's be honest. At first I was uh, shy, and now I'm convinced. Simone Senior A is in this movie, and uh, she's a force of nature. And you'll see, uh, as the picture rolls on, um, how fabulous she is. Um, She's a French actress, and I mention it for several reasons. One, uh, she was born in Germany, and um, her dad was Jewish, and my dad was Jewish, and my mother wasn't Jewish. And I know we're in Hollywood here, and uh, there's a lot of controversy, because everyone's Jewish. And so... When your father's Jewish and you're not Jewish, um, you're half a Jew, which in Hollywood is no Jew at all. Thank you. Thank you. That's for my Jews out in the audience. It's like for the Bernie voters. Uh, The people who liked Bernie were like, man, I love Bernie. And it's like, that's because you're not Jewish. If you had spent any time around old Jews, you would know that everyone has an Uncle Bernie. And yes, he was already complaining that there wasn't free stuff a thousand fucking years ago, you guys. Thank you for that. That one, I enjoy that one myself. Uh, the cats who wrote it are Abolu Narsajak, uh, their uh, writing team. And then Clouseau uh, bought this and beat Hitchcock to it, as I said. Uh, Simone Signore won an Oscar in 1959 for Best Actress, which you can watch her get it from, uh, so to speak. Uh, uh, Rock Hudson hands her the award, and she gives him a, a, a French kiss, in other words, a a continental kiss on either side. And um, she's the first French actress to get an Oscar, and uh, no one got another one until, what, Marianne Cotillard got one uh, in like the 2000s. I think uh, 
uh, there was a supporting actress in there somewhere. You would think in the history of cinema, since it's called cinema and whatnot, that more French people would win Academy Awards, but you know how it is here. Uh, and by here, I mean Hollywood. Um, Simone Signore said this, and I thought it was most apt. I want only dead actors. That way there'll be no jealousy. Exactly. I thought it was funny as well. Uh, this picture was a huge hit when it came out and uh, won a bunch of awards. But I wanted to read you uh, a review of it from a British paper called Sight and Sound, um, or rather uh, the cinema paper Sight and Sound from 1955. Derek Prowse, who I'm assuming is long since passed. Uh, in Les Diaboliques, one feels Clouseau found certain elements of a situation which absorbed him completely. And this absorption he has fully recommunicated on the screen. And this is the part, since it's considered a classic now, that I thought you should hear from a contemporary critic of this movie. In fact, rarely, if ever, has such a wallow in the sickeningly macabre been passed for distribution in this country. So I'm awesomely proud to be able to show a picture that wallows in the sickening macabre the way this one does. And yes, I'm extra pronouncing the end of macabre to make it funner for you. So a man wrote to Alfred Hitchcock, and this is a famous Hitchcock story, as there are so many, and said, sir, after seeing Diabolique, my daughter was afraid to take a bath. Now she's seen Psycho, and she's afraid to take a shower. What should I do with her? And Hitchcock wrote him back and said, send her to the dry cleaners. <laughs> uh, I think I've got, yeah. This one, uh, I wanted to read you one last thing before we go here, and we're about to go on this picture. Uh, you'll love it. Uh, Vera Clouseau is fabulous in it. And uh, ironically, she, uh, she, uh, met her demise several years after this picture of a heart attack, which you'll see becomes quite salient as this picture goes on. Um, it's also a movie about murder, which as Shakespeare called um, a deed without a name. And I think he captured it the most. And because it's Halloween, I'm going to read you this because I think it's one of the scariest passages in all of Shakespeare. And it's from a play called The Scottish Play because we don't say the name of it because I'm a performer, and if a performer says the name of the play, terrible luck will befall you, and that's how superstitious we are. Um, and I'm not going to say the bloody name of it. However, I will say this. There was a Roman Polanski version of it, speaking of evil, um, <laughs> that came out in the 70s, and it's one of the goriest movies you'll ever see. It's of the Scottish play. It's unbelievably gory. Um, there, people's, it's, it's like a Sam Peckinpah Monty Python sketch. It's so gory. People are running around with their arms cut off. People get their heads cut off and you can see through their eyes. And I was taken with my advanced English class to see it. And <laughs> we saw Romeo and Juliet as well, which when you're a teenager is a hot one because it's two 15-year-olds having sex constantly. And if you've seen the Zeffirelli version, it's super pervy, it's awesome. Uh, so we were all pretty hiked up about uh, uh, going to see Romeo and Juliet in like 1975. Then they took us to see the Scottish play by Polanski and everyone was like, oh God. And in that version, the witches are naked, uh, quite naked. Um, if you're familiar with it at all, which I presume you are, because everyone's heard of it, you'll be quite familiar when I read you this part, and then we'll move right into the picture. Um, at the, the scene is set in uh, scene four, act one, of the Scottish play. Um, and our, our hero, uh, 
the stage setting is, fantastically, a cauldron boiling three witches. So if you're writing a screenplay right now, you might want to go back to basics, because it's hard to beat that one. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, fillet of a fenny snake in the cauldron boil and bake, eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worms sing, lizard's leg and owlet's wing, for a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble, double, double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked when this way comes, open locks, whoever knocks, he enters. How now, you secret black and midnight hags, what is to do? A deed without a name. I give you Clouseau's Lee Diabolique.